Welcome to the Gift of Time podcast, hosted by Bart Justice of Axios Solutions. Today, Bart talks with the Executive Director of the Cornerstone Initiative, Debbie Akers, about the people who invested the gift of time in her life. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Gift of Time podcast. Excited to have another episode. And this week, we've got my friend, Debbie Akers. With us, Debbie, it is so good to see your face. It's good to be here and to be seen and to see you too as well, Bart. You know, it's been way too long. Uh, COVID has really kind of gotten us indoors and away from things. And uh, we just moved. And so there's just been a lot of reasons that we haven't been able to connect. But uh, it's it's just really, really good to see you. Uh, You know, tell us about what you're doing and uh, your husband, Tony, your kids, and a little bit about who you are, not what you do. Okay, thanks. Uh, Yeah, my name is Debbie Akers. I am a native Kentucky girl, been here in Alabama for about 18 years. And uh, we came here, my husband was a youth pastor. Uh, He was in ministry within the church for about 30 years. And um, right at the end of that 30 years, uh, mostly, most all of that was in youth ministry. We decided uh, he decided that uh, he needed to lean in and listen to what God was uh, speaking into him. And he actually stepped away from church ministry and continued ministry with me uh, serving in a nonprofit. Uh, but uh, we have three, I still say children, but they're not all children. Yeah. We, <laughs> we have uh, our oldest is Madison, 27. She's still here in Huntsville with us. Well, not with us, but she is a nurse at Huntsville uh, Women and Children's serving as a pediatric intensive care nurse and uh, we're just watching her navigate COVID and yeah. all it is in her world. Uh, our son Samuel uh, just graduated during COVID from Mississippi state university. And he is in his Hail second. State. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's right. I forgot the connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he is actually um, working as a forester with the national forest service and um, working out of Ackerman, Mississippi. Do you remember where Ackerman was right outside? So he's done a lot of things, you know, doing a lot of details out West with the fires right now, but uh, he's just bought his first house this weekend, a little fixer upper. And uh, so it's fun seeing him adulting and, um, but they're both doing well. And we're, we're in that stage of uh, being friends with our adult children and a little coaching on the side there too. Uh, we have a young, our youngest is Hannah Grace. She's 16 and she is still home with us. And we are enjoying um, the, the life of parenting an only child. That's kind of different, you know, <laughs> Right? she's great. She's great. She started driving this year. She's a junior at Buckhorn. And um, yeah, we're, we are very thankful for our kiddos and this season of life. Um, so yeah, that's, that's who my family is. I don't know who I am. That's who my family is. Well, uh, you have an amazing family and, uh, it's great that you and Tony get to work together. Uh, and you know, this, this cornerstone initiative that you're the executive director of is an absolutely amazing organization that I got involved with quite a while back before you became the executive director. And I was just really blown away by their mission and you have really taken it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate this. It's uh, a ministry serving the uh, kind of almost a lost community 
in Huntsville called West Side that was just forgotten about for a long time. The, the uh, city came in and, and allowed an interstate to basically be uh, put right over the top of their neighborhood and they became somewhat of a forgotten group of people. They now have their identity back in a lot of ways. So tell us a little bit about the Cornerstone Initiative and what you're doing there in Westside. Yeah, well, actually, it's been a little bit since you and I talked. Some things are, are changing, but um, it's Cornerstone's overall mission is uh, and like the quick two-second you know, version is to help people help themselves, right? Um, we believe that there are so many people who um, are living in situations of poverty, often generational poverty, and they don't, um, they don't see the opportunity. I mean, Huntsville, goodness, Huntsville is not in lack of opportunity, right? <laughs> There's, I mean, we need people working everywhere. Um, but when you've been told that you're nobody, you're nothing, and you know, this is who we are and this is how we've always lived. And um, you don't, you don't see those opportunities for right. yourself. And so I believe where Cornerstone focuses is we believe our, our mission statement actually has a sequence of relationships, hope, and opportunity. And I believe every day more and more in that sequence that, that as we get engaged in relationships in Christ-centered, meaningful relationships uh, with individuals, and just remind them, you know, you, know, you have value because of the fact that you were created in the image of God, not because of what you've done or who you are, you know. And um, the more that person gets to hear uh, that message and the more they get to involved in relationships. And I love your, you know, gift of time. They have the gift of time with people to, uh, to understand maybe that they have value. Then we see God ignite hope in those folks. And when someone has hope, then they might actually see and take advantage of the opportunities that exist, but it's not until they have hope. So our mission has been just connecting with people of West Side and just the low-income community throughout Huntsville to say, where can we come alongside you and just meet you where you are and um, watch God ignite hope through relationship? And then wherever that goes, walk there with them. So. Right. You know, one of the things that I learned very early on, it's something that, that y'all put on at a C4 conference, was that poverty isn't simply a lack of money, right. or a lack of resources in that way. Uh, it can be, you can have poverty of relationships, spiritual mm -hmm. poverty, lots of different types of poverty that gener generationally really uh, put a stronghold on a, a yeah. person. Yeah, we do an assessment with um, individuals when they come through. We offer a couple of programs that would look more like a class uh, to someone. And before they start the class, we do an assessment. And of course, it's like to see if they have a job, you know, what kind of crisis they're in. Those questions are there, of course. But those are more, I guess we'd say our outputs, you know, right? But our right. outcomes, what we're looking at, we really measure, you know, we try to find out like, what is someone's level of hope? Uh, what are their support systems? Bart, it was so interesting when we first started doing this, we realized the extreme poverty of support system. Like that was huge. And we would ask people, hey, if, you know, if your car died today while you're here for this interview, you know, and how many people do you know that you could call and they would for sure, they would be here to get you. And we typically got no more than one to two. 
that was all. And then we learned we had to change our question and say, how many people would come and get you without charging you? I mean, we learned that you don't even know what a healthy network is if you've never had one. You don't know what you don't know. So helping people even identify and define healthy support systems. So yeah, uh, a lot of different types of poverty are volunteers that come to serve. It's it's incredible to watch God do a work in the volunteers. Yeah. When they realize their own poverty and realize, well, I'm learning as much from the student as I'm giving. And um, yeah. we can talk about that when we're talking about, I know you want to talk about the gift of time, but it is, it is what we are seeing God do now. And we are having to figure out how do we steward what God is doing in the lives of the volunteers. I think that's the new, not maybe a new day at Cornerstone, but it's seeing where God is at work and joining him there. And um, yeah, it, it's the relationships, through the relationships, through the time spent with volunteers and students that God is revealing himself, I believe, in new ways to, to church going folks who have been told for decades, you know, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, you know, care for the poor, but they've never really, and I'm making a broad blanket statement, but in most cases, there's not been a way for people to engage in that long-term other than like a one week missions trip or something, you know, and to engage in it long-term and relationally. And when we see folks getting a chance to live out what the Holy Spirit's already planted in their hearts, um, it's exciting. It's exciting to see. So that's kind of what's happening at Cornerstone right now. Well, you know, a lot of churches were conditioned to see metrics and see how many salvations or how many people were fed or all those things. And that doesn't mesh necessarily with walking life out long-term with someone or a group of someone's. So it's a mind shift. It's a, a really a repentance, a changing of your mind towards a new way of thinking about engaging others and moving from a transactional relationship to a relational relationship is oftentimes uh, it's, it's a hard thing to overcome. But one of the things I, I kind of gathered from when helping hurts was Mm -hmm. when, when a group of people goes in and think they have all the answers, think that they have the resources, think that they can fix problems then that actually does more damage when a group of people comes in and humbly walks alongside people and really connects with them and walks life out. That's when transformation occurs. Yeah. We actually, we require, we mandate uh, every volunteer that comes because all of our classes, like we have a faith and finances, it's a financial literacy course. And we have a jobs, like a job skills class Every student that we have has at least one, if not two, we call them allies, um, that walk alongside them. They come to every class with them. But in order to do that, you have to go through a mandatory four-week training. And we walk through the book, When Helping Hurts, and another church by Ruby Bridges Payne called What Every Church Member Should Know About Poverty. And it really digs deep into the culture of poverty and um, I guess overall it, it helps our volunteers realize they're not there to rescue anyone. Right. They're there to love them. They're there to love them and encourage them and, um, and not create a transactional relationship. Uh, we are seeking transformation. 
And um, like I said, we're learning at Cornerstone what that looks like more and more. I think we had only touched the tip of the iceberg until recently. And so we are trying to, we're actually going through a whole organizational assessment right now and um, excited about what will come out of that and a strategic plan that will come out of that. But we believe what we'll be seeing is long-term engagement instead of just when our students graduate from the programs. We have alumni gatherings like every other month, but we are really feeling God calling us to deeper waters. And, and really uh, that, that class, in all honesty, it's more like discipleship. Right. And, and walking long-term, you don't disciple someone for eight weeks and say, go get it. You know, you, you know, there's, you know, Jesus walked a long time with, with his 12, right? So, um, so yeah, that, that's what we're discerning right now. How do we uh, not just have some transactions and build a budget or get a job, but how do we walk long-term and uh, allow God to transform the volunteer and the student? Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, I think a lot of times we look back on our lives and the things that are the people that impacted us the most, it was not a transactional relationship, right? It was someone who invested time and walked alongside you. And you've had a couple of people that have really invested in you at, at critical times in your lives. And I, I wanted to give you a chance to share about your uh, youth pastor when you were a teenager, Anthony and Becky Newsom. And just give you an opportunity to just kind of share a little uh, story of that that relationship. Yeah. So I grew up back in the mountains in eastern Kentucky. I mean, way back in the mountains. Like I literally lived what we called up a holler. You know, there was two mountains that came down and there's a little bit of land and a creek, you know. Um, but uh, but living in Virgie growing up, I uh, we moved around a little. My parents divorced and um my mom started playing the piano at a little, it was a missionary Alliance church there in Virgie and precious, precious folks. They didn't have a youth program. And I was invited to a lock-in back when we had lock-ins. You remember those? And oh, yeah. I was invited to a lock-in at uh, this little church in Virgie. And um, I was in seventh, seventh grade at the time. And um, long story short, I ended up staying there. And my mom understood the importance of those relationships enough that she allowed me to continue. So I never worshiped with my mom from seventh grade on up. Uh, She would drop me off every Sunday at the front door and go on up the road to her church. And then I would sit on the steps and wait until she came back after church. Um, So I think that was a big part of it, too, because um, the church, specifically Anthony and Becky, took me in, yep. you know, they took, they took ownership. They really did the responsibility of, of raising and discipling me, you know, they, they, um, and they were young. I don't know if they, you know, had read any books on this or anything. They just, they just loved well, you know, and um, they, they had three children. And I was there, I think during the, when they had their set, their third one, but you know, I would babysit for their kids and I was in their home a lot. And, you know, myself coming from a you know, situation of divorce, uh, step parents, just, you know, some, some crazy stuff. I mean, it was good. But it was some crazy stuff, you know, and uh, I got to see what this family looks like, that uh, this marriage where they love each other and love God even more. 
Mm-hmm. And they were raising their kids to know and love Jesus. And um, I mean, it was a model that was powerful, powerful in my life. Um, youth group now, I think it's so funny when, yes, of course, I've married, my husband's a youth pastor, right? But, you know, all the glitz and glamour that we think that youth ministries need, I just want to just shake people. I'm like, no, you don't. You just, <laughs> no, you just need relationships. You need at least one adult for every three kids, you know? Um, so that time that they spent with me uh, going on trips, I felt like Becky was more of my best friend, you know, and the church sat right next door to my high school. Like it was literally, they shared a parking lot. And I remember just those days of high school, just, oh, you know, some of those really tough times. And I would look out the window and I would see my little center block church sitting over there to the right. And I'm like, that's home. That's home, you know, I'm going to get misty here thinking about it, but it was a sense of identity, a sense of place, of people, and Anthony and Becky were critical. They were there. And of course, in just the spiritual direction, I remember I still have, and I should have brought it to this thing, but at one point, I think I was um, a senior in high school, and uh, I was dating a guy that I probably should have never been dating, and uh Anthony Becky never said anything, you know, mean or judgmental. But one day during church, and I always sat with them in church, uh, Anthony wrote, he had a gum wrapper and it was carefree chewing gum. And he wrote on the back of the gum wrapper, a scripture, just a passage. And I looked it up later and it was, you know, back then between the old King James version and it said, evil communications, corrupt good manners. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was his way of lovingly saying, be careful who you're dating. Yeah. Be careful. Wow. Ended it. Like, but he had, I, he had earned the right to share that over years of yeah. love. Yeah. I mean, I knew that that came from nothing but love. I knew that by dating this guy, like it grieved Anthony and Becky, mm-hmm. um, but they weren't going to ruin a relationship with me. They were going to love me regardless. And um, just, um, precious, precious folks that went on and poured into the lives of, you know, tons of kids, you know, after that. Um, but when you do it well, you feel like you're the only kid that they poured into, right? right. And they made me feel that way. Wow. And it all started with a lock-in. It all started with a lock-in. And to tell you the truth, they weren't the youth pastors. Out there. And actually he was, we didn't have paid youth pastors. Then Anthony's family owned a coal mines. And he would come to youth groups sometimes, um, like covered in coal. He's like, didn't get to go home yet, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it was the most ragtag. I look back now and uh, told my husband, I said, we looked like the island of misfit toys. You know, we were, it wasn't all the cool kids. It was just people who who needed needed community, you know. And and, and Anthony and Becky offered that. And, uh, and, and it wasn't just relationships. I mean, these were he loved Jesus with passion and excitement and wonder. Like he was always so curious and, and he and Becky, um, I mean, I remember just sitting in church with Becky and both of us just taking notes in our Bibles during the sermon and, you know, sharing like, did you get this? And did you get that? You know, it was just, that was our relationship was totally rooted in Christ. Wow. That's great. And as you, uh, got a little older and got married. 
you had someone else that was really significant in your life. And uh, I think you said 13 year discipleship uh, with this uh, lady named Sandy. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to share about her as well. Well, I will say for anyone out there that's experienced that or maybe has kids that are experiencing that youth uh, ministry where there's people pouring into their lives they connected with, uh, leaving that and going to college is hard. It was really hard. I know my husband always tried to get um, his kids connected with ministries, campus ministries, before they even stepped foot on the campus to get them connected with the campus minister. I think that was really important. Um, after having not just Anthony and Becky, but having, um, you know, solid expository teaching every week, you know, it was, it was good. And then Tony and I got married and he, um, it was a different denomination. It was a different style of teaching and preaching. And um, I moved where I didn't know a soul, just complete blank. And I, I remember just going down the road one day and seeing a car that was familiar to someone from back in Burgey. And I just waved and I knew it wasn't the people, but I'm like, I just need to know someone, you know, <laughs> I just need to know and be known. Right. Mm-hmm. So there were several years of, um, I think there was a loss of identity, you know, and um, Debbie as the young gal who loved Jesus was now just had this new name, you know, Debbie Dehart was now Debbie Akers, the youth pastor's wife, mm-hmm. you know? And so there was just a couple of years of just trying to find that identity, then had children, you know, and of course, as young moms, sometimes we get our identity wrapped up in that, that becomes our identity. And it's a sweet part of what's going on in our life, but it's not who we are. And um, so I was there. I was at that season of life. Tony had gone to seminary and um, we were at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky and uh, had found a sweet group of folks that we had all, he and I started um, a young, newly married and engaged couples class at our church. And so just a lot of folks from the seminary, from the you know, UK university came in and it was a great, you know, I think a lot of us have those stories, those classes that start out now, they're in their 50s and 60s, right? And they were the newly married or, you know, engaged class. And that's where we were. And we had uh, a couple, Ken and Sandy Gray, that came along and led us. And they were precious. They had never had children and we were their children. Gotcha. And um, just, uh, just so much wisdom just dripped off of them. Oh, my goodness. It was a gift to be with them. Well, that class dispersed and people were in seminary and they were going off to all ends of the world, you know, to serve. And we moved away to Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I remember um, the passage of scripture. I think it's um, where, where David talks about, I'm in a dry and weary land where there's no water. And oh, I couldn't read. I get misty nothing, but I couldn't read it without just weeping. I'm like, this is me. And one day I've just sheer desperation. You know, Cause you're waiting. I think as women, we wait to find that person that will pour into us. And I have found that person doesn't just come up and say, Hey, I think you need someone walking with you. Would you like for me to, it doesn't happen. Yeah. But really, We wait on that. And I reached out to Sandy um, who had taught our class and I called and I said, you know, I'm, I'm dying. Like, this is, 
I've got, you know, three-year-old and a, a one-year-old and life is my marriage is great, my friend, but I am so hungry for Jesus. Like, I don't know what to do. And she said, let me just, as, as she would, she said, let me just pray about that. And then she came back a couple of weeks later and said, you're not the only one. There's about four of you that have really been on my mind and I'd like to get together. And so we met that summer for a couple of days, like three days at a convent in Bardstown, Kentucky. And we literally just sat at her feet. And um, literally, like she sat in a rocking chair and we sat on the floor at her feet and just listened to her and prayed with her. And she would, um, well, she decided then we need to do this more often. So it became a yearly thing. Every year uh, we would get together for several days and just she would give us enough meat to chew on for a year. Um, But she was always there. There was constantly praying for us, um, available to us but uh, challenging us for sure. And yeah, so that went on for 13 years. Um, Wow. And then my baby that was three at the time grew up and went to college at Asbury university where Sandy was serving as the president of the college at that time. (laughs) So so it was uh, was a sweet full circle. I'll have to ask my wife. My wife got her MDiv at Asbury. I don't think I ever told you that. No, 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 no. So she was at the seminary then, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so Sandy was at the university across the street. So, yeah. Wow. What a impactful thing to have uh, an older woman come alongside you and, and just walk with you in, in the trials of life and kind of point you down the road and uh, let you see the vision. Now you said that was in Bardstown. Is that right? Is, right. is that where the uh, Catholic monastery is? Yes, there's a okay, monastery so, and a convent all right there together. So several years ago, I actually went on a silent retreat there at the, uh, and for anybody listening, uh, monks.org. You can go to <laughs> monks.org and uh, find out about it, but you can go on a Monday and not talk until Friday, or you can go on a Friday and not talk till Monday. But it was a phenomenal silent retreat. Uh, and I, I plan on going back, but then COVID hit and they shut it down. And I think they maybe opened it back up or at least are getting ready to or something. But uh, really impactful period of time right there in Bardstown, Kentucky for me. And for, for women, the convent, it's been so many years because we ended up going to different places, but uh, they have little hermitages that sit around the convent or there's like the old I think they call it the, the the mother house or the sister house or something, but it's like, it's like going to grandma's. I mean, it's just like walking chairs and big quilts and pillows and they rent that out and you can come stay there. And then at dinner time, you go over to the cafeteria and get to eat with the sisters. And there's also certain areas that are silent. If you're on a silent retreat, you can go and sit there and it was just, it was beautiful. It was. And it's, it's open to, to anyone. You don't have to be anyone. Catholic, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'd love to go back and Tony and I were just talking about this week. He's like, well, honey, Coleman's a little bit closer. <laughs> it's only like three hours. It's like three hours from here to Bardstown. It's not bad. Yeah, It's not bad at all. Well, uh, so I alluded to it a little earlier. Uh, the C4 conference is something that the Cornerstone Initiative does uh, on mostly a yearly basis. I guess COVID kind of uh, put right. a little bit of a kink in that, but uh, it's been something that has 
transformed and impacted Huntsville, uh, people have come in from all over for it. So it's not just a Huntsville thing, but one of the, it's just really integrated a lot of ministries and a lot of churches and helped them understand the idea of reaching into communities and, and impacting lives. And it, you know, growing up here in Huntsville, there was just a lot of segregated ministries going on. And it's really neat to see this community begin to come together and work together. Uh, C4 has been a huge part of that. So tell us a little bit about the C4 conference. Well, thank you so much. I need to just let you do like advertisement for us. <laughs> it's great. Uh, no, C4, the way I describe C4, and I always love to ask people, so Bart, do you know what C4 stands for? I used to. Uh, I will not. Cornerstone, uh, something Con- for compassion. Cornerstone community. Uh, you, you, you got three of the words. It's Cornerstone the, Conference, conference for Community for Compassion. Community, yes. <laughs> Well, you know, I sponsored it a couple of years ago. And so, but yeah, that my, I've slept since then. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little water under the bridge since then. No, Cornerstones, the C4 conference really is, it, it just began with us um, having someone on our staff had a lunch with uh, Bob Lupton, who wrote Toxic Charity. He was going to be coming into town and, and um, it was Bruce Martin. He's like, well, hey, you know, it, if Bob's going to be here, maybe we could invite other people to come and have lunch with us and learn. And it turned into a conference. Uh, but what it was really, this, that idea has still driven the conference. It's we want to learn. Who are we learning from? And let's bring others along with us to learn. That's literally been every year. Each person has come and spoken at the conference. And we have been so blessed to have incredible speakers. But yes. It's who we're learning from, like the year that Peter Greer came and spoke, you know, his book Mission Drift had just really impacted my life. And then uh, his smaller book called The Giver and the Gift, you know, the ministry of fundraising, not the dread, but the ministry of that. And, and so be able to bring him along and invite not just other nonprofits, but churches and then, you know, the marketplace, the business community that are, um, you know, running a business. It just, I think that's the unique piece of the conference. It brings all of those different sectors together. And the government. I mean, yeah. 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 So when I try to tell speakers that we've invited, you know, what that demographic looks like, really? Yeah, I think, I think that's it. Um, So yeah, that's uh, the conference usually happens late February, early March each year. We were able to have the conference in 2020, and then the world shut down about three weeks later. So we were blessed to be able to get that in um, this year, 2021. We just could not do it. Um, so we are excited to have one planned and scheduled for March 8th, 2022. And we are inviting Steve Patty. Uh, he's an incredible um, teacher, author, and speaker, and uh, he He's written a book that just lines up 1,000% with where we believe God is leading us right now. And that is, how do we not just check the box? You know, how do we move people? Um, not, let me change it. Not how do we move people? How do we walk with God as God moves people to lasting transformation? And, and that can be, the actual the book that he wrote is not actually from a faith perspective, even though I know Steve's heart. 
but it's, you know, in a corporate office, you know, how do you move those employees to, you know, uh, lasting change? How do you make your work last um, in your church and leadership? So none of us want to just be shallow, right? We want to, we want to move in deep waters. So that is what Steve will be coming to speak about in February and March, March 8th. March 8th of 2022, C4 conference. We'll put the information in the in the show notes for people to uh, get more on that. Hey, come in from out of town. Uh, yeah. You know, we would love to uh, host you and yeah. see, you know, what, what you can take back to your own communities uh, yeah. with that. So uh, Debbie, thank you so much for uh, being my guest, investing your time in this, uh, allowing me to, um, let the world hear a little bit more about the Cornerstone Initiative and you and the people that have invested in you. It's no accident that Cornerstone Initiative is is what it is. It's the product of a lot of investment into mm. you and the other people that have been a part of that organization. So, mm. well, thank you, Bart. Thank you for investing in the ministry of Cornerstone and allowing this time. I like to brag on. God's people, right? And um, give thanks for them and their investment in my life. So good idea. Well, well you know, the your LinkedIn page, the Cornerstone Initiative's LinkedIn page, uh, down below the Cornerstone Initiative, it has a formula. And you alluded to it in your mission statement, but I love this formula and we can, we can end on this, but life-giving relationships plus awakened hope plus available opportunities equals transformed communities. And I just, I love that. We want, we want to be a part of transforming our, our communities wherever we are. And uh, we need opportunities to make that happen, but there has to be awakened hope uh, to even be able to take advantage of those opportunities. And I think it all starts with those life-giving relationships and investing that time and you do it very well. So thank you. Thank you, Bart. Appreciate the time. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Gift of Time podcast. To find out more about the Cornerstone Initiative or Bart Justice and Axios Solutions, be sure to check out our show notes. The Gift of Time podcast is brought to you by Axios Solutions, a company that believes in the power of a knee-to-knee conversation. 